the shadow is part of the unconscious mind that I, I sometimes refer to as the hurt locker, right? So everything that happens in our life that we don't like about ourselves or we know when we're told by parents that we're, you know, a piece of garbage or, you know, we get broken up with or, or cheated on, all of these things get stored in a part of our unconscious mind. And those, those things inform us or inform our identity and our unconscious mind about ourselves. And so the shadow is really the place within the psyche where we store all of our insecurities, all the things we don't like about ourselves, uh, the things that we generally tend to avoid or want to hide from the world. And so it's kind of like this amalgamation of all of the parts of us that we normally don't want other people to see. And the, the interesting thing about the shadow is that not only is it the place where we store all the stuff about ourselves that is challenging or confronting or painful, it's also the part where generally a lot of our potential. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and today I have an extremely special guest because he is somebody who is a thought leader and a powerhouse in male relationship and mindset coaching. I am here with Connor Beaton, aka Man Talks, who is widely known for his Man Talks podcast, his, his coaching programs. And he's also uh, married uh, to Vienna Ferrone, and they are a powerhouse couple um, together making a difference in the lives of many relationships across the world. And it's extremely like challenging time right now for a lot of relationships during this pandemic, during COVID, um, and making it a lot more challenging to have you know, healthy relationships because of the added stress. So I wanted to get him on um, to, to really shed some light on not only the male um, perspective, because I know that's predominantly his clientele, but also just, you know, generalities and like what's going on, what he's seeing and how we can kind of navigate through this process. So Connor, thank you so much for coming on. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So like the, one of the things that I'm very interested to talk to you about, because as a male who has done a lot of work on himself, I've I had a lot of trauma growing up. I had a lot of quote unquote, um, un unfortunate things happen. I developed a lot of patterns and insecurities and, uh, in subconscious beliefs on, on how I live my life. And you talk a lot about the shadow, mm -hmm. right. And the shadow in males. And I've, I've seen you talk about it in your content. Like what does the shadow kind of mean? And why do you think it's important for, for men to work on it? Yeah, man. Well, good. Really, really good question. And um, so maybe just a bit, a bit of context on my background. So I was fortunate enough after yeah. I hit my own rock bottom and, and, uh, you know, found myself in, in a bit of a peculiar place, I started to do a ton of work. And thankfully, I had a mentor in my life who was versed in Jungian psychology. And so he had actually he's, he was quite a bit older at the time he since passed away. Um, but he had actually studied in the Jungian psychology lineage with pupils of Carl Jung and Carl Jung himself. And so mm. um, I was fortunate enough to kind of be mentored for a few years in, in that vein. But um, the shadow is a really interesting part of our mind. So we, when we think about how our psyche works, how our identity, or our ego works, is that there's the conscious mind, there's the subconscious and the unconscious. And so the conscious mind is like the part, you know, if you've ever seen the, the graphic of the iceberg, you have the part sticking up above the water, which is the conscious mind. And then if you just stand at the very edge where, where the iceberg meets the water and you look down, you can see part of the iceberg underneath the water, and that's the subconscious mind. And then all of the iceberg underneath the water that you can't see, that's the unconscious. And the unconscious mind, Jung believed that there was a few parts, right? He believed that there was the personal unconscious, which is the collective experience of all that you've been through personally. And then he believed that there was a collective unconscious, which we're not necessarily going to get into. But the shadow is part of the unconscious mind that I, I sometimes refer to as the hurt locker, right? So everything that happens in our life that we don't like about ourselves or we know when we're 
told by parents that we're, you know, a piece of garbage or, you know, we get broken up with or, or cheated on. All of these things get stored in a part of our unconscious mind. And those, those things inform us or inform our identity and our unconscious mind about ourselves. And so the shadow is really the place within the psyche where we store all of our insecurities, all the things we don't like about ourselves, uh, the things that we generally tend to avoid or want to hide from the world. And so it's kind of like this amalgamation of all of the parts of us that we normally don't want other people to see. And the, the interesting thing about the shadow is that not only is it the place where we store all the stuff about ourselves that is challenging or confronting or painful, it's also the part where generally a lot of our potential gets locked up as well. Mm. And so as we go through these experiences, right? So you imagine being like a, a small boy or, or a girl who has an abusive parent who's constantly telling them that they're stupid or a piece of garbage or whatever, that is going to have a psychological impact on that child that's going to inform them that, oh, there's something wrong with me. And so not only are they going to adopt a story or a narrative of not being good enough, but they're also going to take part of the potential that of who they could be and lock that away in their unconscious mind. So the shadow, Jung believed that the embodiment of the shadow or the embodiment of the monster, as he called it sometimes, was the access point for as close to uh, psychological wholeness, I guess you could say, or completion as we could possibly find ourselves. And it's in that facing our, our sort of demons uh, that that we allow ourselves to move into that space. So for men, this is especially important for women. Obviously, it's important as well. Uh, but for men right now in our current climate, it is, it is 100% the work that we're all being called to do. And I think a lot of men have heard like, you know, men need to do the work and then men need to show up men need to open up like all these different iterations. And I have guys reaching out all the time. Like, I don't even know what that means. It means facing your shit, right? It means facing this part of you that's causing dysfunction and sabotage. And I think for any, for any guy, that's an appealing, there's something appealing in it, right? Because we, as men love expansion and growth, we love pushing our edges and finding freedom and and how we do that is by going through adversity, as, as you very well know. And that requires us to meet our shadow. So maybe I'll just pause there. Yeah, you, you brought up so many good points in there that I want to definitely expand on. Um, and you're right. I think for me personally, you know, I mean, my story, you know, I was incarcerated on felony drug charges back in 2008 and fitness really saved my life. And I had to do a lot of work to heal from that, you know, changing my friends, changing my habits, changing my mindset, changing the way I talk to myself, you know, looking at a lot of the, the root causes of that addiction, of those traumas, whether it was the abuse, uh, being bullied, um, all these insecurities I developed. And I thought that true happiness for a male was making good money, having a ridiculously good looking body and, you know, being in a profession where I was helping people. And while that was all well and good, I hit a moment where I had realized I hadn't done a lot of the work that I needed to do. And mm -hmm. I was like 23, 24. And I was like, why don't I have confidence in myself? All my clients are like, why aren't you married? Why aren't you this? Why aren't you like, like asking me questions? And I'm like, I don't, I don't like, I don't know. Like, why do I look at myself in the mirror and still see this old fat Doug? Mm -hmm. And I remember somebody and I was in a mastermind uh, back then. And somebody was like, well, what happened in your childhood? And I was like, I don't know. And then like, I was like, oh, this all makes sense, right? Because of all the things you were just talking about before that I hadn't done this quote unquote shadow work. Mm. And I went on like a journey for the next, I mean, I'm still doing the work now for the next you know, years to come to like unpack where a lot of those thought patterns came from and working through that. And it never stops, right? I think even now, like in COVID and the pandemic and being isolated, I saw you um, post something about how isolation really is like, leading to like amplification of stuff that's coming out that I'm learning there's still work to be done. And mm -hmm. I think I'm proud of myself to acknowledge it because the old me, the fixed mindset survival Doug would be like, I don't have any work to do. I'm perfect. But it's like, no, I still have work to do. There's still stuff I need to unpack. So what was your like rock bottom moment where you really decided that you needed to make a change and actually do the work so you would stop, I guess, self-sabotaging yourself? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, it it showed up in the vehicle of relationships, mm. you know. So, I think for everyone, uh, you know, they have their their own moments where life's going to throw challenges at them, or they're going to create challenges of their own. And and for me, 
you know, my, I had sort of bought into this idea, what I call the one rule of men today, which is like, you, you know, very similar to the one rule of fight club, which you don't talk about it. Right. And oh, yeah. the, the one rule of men is very much the same, right? It's like, you don't talk about what it's like to be a man who's struggling financially or suffering emotionally, or, you know, whatever the case may be, if you've lost your job, you're not supposed to bitch about it. You're supposed to just like figure it out. And so I had very much adopted that mentality. I grew up in a very like uh, I grew up in Northern Alberta, which is kind of like the Texas to Canada. And oh. so it's very much, you know, it's like oil, big trucks and cowboys, right? And mm. like guns. And that's, it's like the Canadian version of Texas, truly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, so I, I bought in this idea. I had a lot of challenges um, growing up in my family system, my family of origin. Mm. And because of that, I lacked a lot of self-worth. And how I found self-worth, you know, I wasn't very good at, at academics, I was sort of like subpar, I you know, was okay at sports. But where I found that I started to excel was I started to get a lot of attention from women mm. um, at a pretty young age. And I started to realize that, that there was power in my ability to, to have women want me. And so very, very quickly, I found a, an immense amount of self-worth in getting attention from women. And that turned into womanizing and sleeping around and not being able to, you know, maintain committed relationships, a ton of infidelity, lots of lying, lots of cheating. And it sort of came out in this uh, sort of Hollywood fashion moment, you know, where I'm, I'm driving through the streets and, and I have this, this woman next to me who I'd been having an affair with and my, you know, it's snowing outside my, and across the street walks my partner, uh, you know, looks into the car. And this is like three, three or four days after she's busted me already, uh, with, with this woman. And, and it's just like this moment where my whole life sort of closed in. Mm. And, you know, I, I was, I think really in that moment, not only, not only outed, not only like in this place of just rawness, but really seeing the impact of my, of my own actions. And so, you know, I think it, it, it led to a whole series of events where I just didn't want people to know what I had done. I was, I had so much shame about my own actions. I had been living this double life for a very long time. Like on the outside, it looked like I was doing great. I was traveling the world. I had a great relationship. I had a great career and behind the scenes, I was just a disaster. And so this kind of uh, brought those two things colliding together and I didn't want anyone to know. So I like put all my shit into, uh, into storage, um, packed it all up and lived out of the back of my car for a few weeks until finally, you know, I reached out to a friend to, to kind of get some support. But, uh, you know, that, that for me was the rock bottom moment. It was just, it was, it was the, the, the inevitability that our shadow will take us on, that our pain will take us on, right? Ignored pain will always try and express itself, always, indefinitely. It's just a, it's, a, it, it's, it's an absolute um, like certainty, a guarantee, I guess you can say in some ways, that when we have this pain within us and, and it has nowhere to go and we have nowhere to, to express it or to heal through it, it will try and express itself. And for me, that's just what happened. You know, I was I was very lost and confused for a long time, and I had a lot of pain in me because of my childhood. And finally, it it sort of ruptured and 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 created this merging together of these different parts of my personality. And I think, and it sort of forced me to look at my shadow, right? It forced me to face, um, you know, the the inner critic in me that was abusive. It forced me to to face the part of me that was insecure, that was constantly seeking validation from women to be okay, you know, and was using sex and porn as this distraction so that I could just get through the day and get through life in some ways. And so, you know, I think that was, that was the rock bottom moment for me. And I think it, it taught me a lot about the human psyche. And after that, after, you know, working with my mentor for a couple of years, I learned a, a, an immense amount about how we operate and why we do these things. But I started to learn that 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 rock bottom for me happened because I had a story that my life wouldn't get better until I bottomed out. And now, after having worked with men for almost a decade and, and women and couples as well, I've started to notice that many of us have this story that we don't believe change 
is possible until we bottom out. We don't believe that growth is actually going to happen in a consistent, substantial way until we, until we like destroy everything. Mm. And so our narratives about our lives are so important. Our stories about our lives and about our uh, contraction, about our pain is so important because they dictate and sort of tell us the, the trajectories that we're going. So we need to pay attention to those inner dialogues and stories. Gosh, man, and, and you, you bring up so many interesting, you know, points within all that with the shadow, with the pain, and dealing with pain. I hundred percent agree because, um, and kudos to you for acknowledging that and, and reaching that moment. From like, I mean, look at the transformation. And I always think that like pain leads to purpose. So you look at all your mm. deepest pain that you went through, you know, infidelity, sleeping around, you know, being a womanizer, and now you're like your career is helping men not do that very same thing, helping men really get in tune with themselves and obviously with what you're doing with Vienna and helping couples like live their best life. So it's just so profound how this kind of all works. And I believe that we all are going to have this pain and it's on us to like recycle that in ways to help not only ourselves, but to help other people. Otherwise it's just pain just kind of sits in there and it rots mm -hmm. and, and it's, it becomes distinct and it stinks up your professional life. It stinks up your personal life. It stinks up everything else. And it, you know, it holds you back from becoming your, your truest self. So, you know, just why, so why do you really think like during times of adversity, when things are bad, is it, would it be important for, for a guy to do the shadow work, even though he's not feeling so good about himself in that moment? Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, this, I think this, this ties into what I posted about the other day, which is what we're seeing a lot of right now, which is isolation. Right. And mm -hmm. I think, we as men have a, a proclivity towards isolation when we're struggling. So because we, we have been taught and sort of educated by the other men that have come before us and by society that we are somehow a stronger man or a better man or a more of a real man if we can somehow face our problems siloed, right? As a lone wolf and figure that shit out by ourselves. Yes. But there's a net negative impact to that isolation for us. Um, and, and we are significantly and seriously lacking a lot of mentorship in our lives. So a lot of modern day men don't, don't have a lot of that mentorship in their lives. And because of that, they, they're sort of floundering around. But I think the reason why it's important to do that, that shadow work is, is because of this idea of isolation equals amplification, right? Mm. When we, when we feel internal pain and strife and suffering and insecurities or doubt or anxieties, whatever the case may be, our tendencies as human beings is to try and hide that, right? Our psyche will want to hide that because it doesn't want to reveal anything that could be uh, threatening uh, on a primal level, on a, on a sexual level, on a hierarchical level within society. So anything that's a threat to us, our brain literally looks at it and says, I, I want to move away from this. Mm. And I, interestingly enough, I had a guy on my podcast named Bo Lotto, who at some point you should have on. He's, he's phenomenal. He's one of the leading neuroscientists of change. And he, he actually, his whole research has been designed to look at how the brain copes with change. And one of the things that he revealed is that our, our brain is literally designed to avoid change because it's just a pattern recognition machine. And so it's constantly bringing in data and, and assimilating that data in a way to try and predict our future. And if it can't predict what's going to happen on the other side of something like change, it'll try and get us to avoid it. And so, you know, anytime that we look at pain in our life, when we're struggling, when we're suffering, those are the moments where we're going to feel the most resistance, right? But, <laughs> but these are the moments where people want to sort of feel motivated. Mm. And, and it's just not true, right? It's, it, it's like, you're going to feel the most resistance in those moments. And so, it leaning into that space is the thing that helps propel us out of it, right? The, 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 the nervous system, your brain is all wired to try and move you away from the things that are causing you pain and suffering, right? And that might mean your anxiety, right? You might be someone who's struggling with anxiety that's listening to this podcast and, and you know exactly what I'm talking about because anytime that anxiety comes up, your body has a physiological response that tries to move you away from it. And that's, that's never the way, right? It's like Ryan Holiday's book, The, Os the Obstacle is the Way. It's the yes. reason why that, that book and that concept is so powerful is that it's a reminder that in 
the moments where we least want to do the work is the moment when we absolutely most need to do it, right? It's the, it's the Buddhist saying, when you have time to meditate, meditate for an hour. When you don't have time, meditate for two. And when you think that you can't, meditate for three, right? So it's, it's just this idea that we, we are designed and programmed to move away from the things that can actually support us. It's very odd. It's very sort of like ass backwards, right? Yes. So, so I think, you know, just to, just to sort of summarize that for, for anyone that's out there that's experiencing these, you know, these insecurities or anxieties or, or suffering in some way, doing the shadow work is, is a, a necessary uh, evil, if you will, or a necessary grace to move you closer towards who you think you are capable of being and becoming. And, and it's not until we sort of do the hard thing. I talk a lot about dark motivation versus light motivation and that how at some point in our life, we all will cross this threshold of being motivated by shame-based endeavors, right? Things that are, are trying to, like if, for example, um, I grew up in a, in a household where there was verbal abuse mm-hmm. and I was told things like, you know, you're stupid and you know, you'll never amount to anything. And, you know, it was, it was very challenging as a kid. And so I had this, I had this story that I wasn't smart enough. And so I spent an immense amount of time and energy and resources trying to prove that story wrong. Not even trying to prove that person wrong, just mm. trying to prove that story. It was like I was waging a war within myself. Right. And that's, that's dark motivation, right? It's motivation that's predicated on shame, on scarcity, on not being good enough. And most of us, most of us, most people that I, that I come into contact with and work with, are trying to move through their lives, build their businesses, build their relationships, build their families based off of this dark motivation, based off of the shame-based motivation. And at some point that is depleting because it's coming from scarcity and not abundance. And so we have to move into this, this uh, light form of motivation, which, uh, which requires us to sort of move into the darkness, right? To heed the call of the hero's journey, for lack of a better word, enter into the cave and, and face our own shit, whatever our shit is. For some people, that's going to be facing childhood abuse, you know, whether it's sexual or physical or verbal or emotional. For other people, it's going to be heartache. For other people, it's, it's going to be their own insecurities, which there's an immense amount of wisdom in. Mm. Um, and so it, each of us has our own, our own shadow, our own demons to face. And it's in the moment where we finally realize that taking steps towards integrating those parts of us will, will bring the freedom that we have desperately been asking for from the universe, from God, from life, from whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I know that's sort of a long-winded answer to your question, but hopefully it answers it somewhat. Oh, you, I mean, spot on with everything. And I think a lot of times we're taught to run away from pain and push it away or fear and sometimes we have to really kind of, I don't want to say attack it head on, but like just, just kind of sit with it and work through it because otherwise it just gets swept under the rug and wherever you go, there you are, right? Your problems will follow you. And if you don't do the work and really address that root cause of like why things are coming up, then the triggers down the road become that much more intense because you haven't worked on the stuff that's triggering you in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know who it was, but um, somebody was talking about how so many people they have, they do meditation and they work out and they journal when it's all good. Like that's when they learn to do it. When it's all good, that's easy. Like when, mm-hmm. they, when life's good, that's easy to do. But it's the people who have learned to do that stuff when stuff is hard that have been more um, able to, to make it to better suit, suit to be able to make it like down the road. And I attribute that when I was in jail, I learned a lot of my coping mechanisms. I learned the importance of exercising, positive mindset, journaling, gratitude, all that stuff. So now when life wasn't, would throw me some challenges that weren't as intense as being incarcerated, it was a lot easier because it came mm-hmm. second nature to me. Even now during COVID, I mean, am I struggling in isolation? I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody's str- struggling in some, some shape or fashion. Everyone's life has been affected. And if they're, they're saying that it hasn't, they're full of shit or they don't have a pulse because it ha- this has never happened in the history of the, of the United States, right? So, and I think to, to piggyback onto that, it's about knowing that there's still work to be done. I mean, I'd love to talk to you about even some stuff I'm going through when we mm. get off of here, because I'm, I'm now I'm not realizing, you know, that I just, you, the, the work never stops, right? You're either in survival mode or I've learned, or you're on the journey. And I think a lot of people, if they think it's like a finish line, you're like, Oh, like I got to the top of the mountain, I'm putting a stake in it. No, like yeah. 
Because I mean, a lot of people have asked me, I get asked all, I, all the time. One of my most popular questions I get via DM is like, wow, like you've done all this stuff and you don't use drugs anymore and this and that. Like you must, like life must be perfect. And you must, like, no, I still have the same problems. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I manage it differently. Mm-hmm. And I have this mindset that's like, okay, like there's still always going to be work to be done. I'm never going to be perfect because there's no fun in that. There's no fun. Mm-hmm. Like it's a challenge. I love being like, all right, like I got to keep working because mm-hmm. you're either evolving or you're dying. Right. Yeah. And so, but with men, especially because men are taught to hide their emotions. Men are taught to do things themselves. I know for me, I, one of the things I've recognized about myself is when I get overwhelmed emotionally, I shut down mm-hmm. and I come across as being very cold. I come mm-hmm. across as being not uncaring. And it's not that I don't, I literally cannot control i emotionally shut down and i can't control it well and we've it, I, I was just going to say like we've we've bought into this idea culturally societally that that almost promotes the ideology that a good man is a man who has cut himself off from the feminine in some way shape or form not women as a gender but the feminine as as an energy and what the mm. feminine archetype or archetypally represents right like in in psychology especially Jungian psychology there's archetypes and and Jung referred to the feminine as the anima so there was the animus and the anima and the anima was the was the archetype of the feminine and everything that it represented within the psyche and when you look at some of the cultures of masculinity that we've created it's not that masculinity is toxic I, I actually don't think that anything necessarily about masculinity is toxic and I think that us sort of perpetuating this idea that that you know toxic masculinity or toxic femininity that's actually not going to resolve anything right. there there are macho traits right when you actually look at the definition of something like machoism right machoism is literally the definition of it is the supreme valuation of masculine traits and the denigration of anything associated with the feminine or feminine mm-hmm. qualities so there we can very clearly see that that the archetype of machoism is something that's pulling us away from being able to connect with the feminine. And, and, and I think we have a longstanding tradition as men of we, we sort of go through these oscillations of respecting the feminine and integrating it into our society and then rejecting it and pushing it away and integrating it and then rejecting it. And, you know, I think we've, we've, we're coming out of a phase of societally like rejecting the, the, the strengths and the qualities of the feminine, even within ourselves as men. And I think that that's one of the, one of the qualities that a lot of men are now starting to have to integrate within themselves, right? Like how do you have compassion towards yourself when you fucked up? Right. When you've right. done when you've done something bad, right? When you've like when you've promised yourself you're gonna stop watching porn and then two days later you're you you know you just finished like a two hour jerk off session. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. you screwed up. So like what do you do? Do you shame yourself into not watching porn the next day? Or do you have some some compassion and you sit with it and you understand that you were feeling depressed? or lonely before, and that's what caused you to go watch the porn. So I think like we, we as men need to slow down enough to be able to understand some of the things that are happening in our lives. And, and we have given a lot of power over to the rational mind because as, mm-hmm. as men in our, our culture, our society, again, we've been taught that our highest value is in our ability to perform and our ability to rationally figure out problems. And if those two objectives, give you your value you're fucked like you're just in a you're in a whole bunch like if that's it like that's that's going to cut you off from really really deep powerful relationships with with women with men with family members it's going to cut you off from a whole bunch of pieces of life morally ethically purpose wise fulfillment wise that that you are naturally going to want and crave and so we have to be able to start to integrate and slow down enough to integrate some of these other pieces that maybe are represented by the feminine or that are represented by the masculine. And I think that a lot of men out there have wounds. I'm going to call it wounds with the masculine, right? Maybe their fathers were abusive or absent. And so they don't trust men or they have a wound with the feminine because they were cheated on. You know, they I like I can't tell you how many men I've worked with that have this story. You ready for this? I was 13 or 14 years old or 15 years old. I fell in love with this girl. She was my first partner. Absolutely loved her. She was the first person I had sex with and she cheated on me with an older guy. And I was devastated. 
and I never trusted women again. In, like I'm, I'm abbreviating it, but that is the story of a lot of men who have then become womanizers. And now that's not to blame it on that woman. That's simply to say that that man has a wound with the feminine, right? Or he grew up in a household where his mother was hypercritical of him and, you know, very abrasive and harsh and like condescending and constantly criticizing him. And because of that, he grew up not trusting women, not wanting their feedback. And in the work environment, you know, they're, they're a bit of a, of a disaster, right? Because they don't want to take any feedback from, from a woman because they don't trust them. Mm. So, those are just some like some very specific but also high levels of examples to just show how we as men uh and it's not that women don't have their own work they certainly have their own work we're just right. talking about the work that men have to do I mean, come on now men are per men are perfect and women aren't we all we both know that Connor. yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so th- i mean those are just some examples of of you know the 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 space and the integration of the feminine that that we the collective and that we as men need to do yeah, and I think you're God, you're you're right on so many levels. Even my own experiences, I look back in a lot of my my traumas and the things I struggled with was, you know, um, you know, I grew up in a household where people were very critical of me and there was a lot of tension. Um and so like my view on that growing up was I like, guess kind of all I knew, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously I was timid and scared for a while because of that. And I think now as I look back and was told, you know, that, you know, you're, you're told you're, that men aren't supposed to show emotion, that they're not, that they're, you know, wusses, right? If they express themselves. And what I found is the more I express myself, either it doesn't matter if it's to, to a partner, to myself or whoever, there's some healing in that because then you're speaking your truth and you're not holding on to, to emotion because you have to process it somehow, whether it's talking about it, whether it's moving, like whatever. And I think we pigeonhole ourselves as men as not opening up. And because no matter what, we were all going to experience adversity and bumps in the road that's going to impact us in a positive or negative way. And if the more we don't address it, the more it gets swept under the rug and a golf ball size problem becomes a bowling ball size problem. Like I'm always telling people right now, the people I'm even coaching are like, doesn't matter. I mean, male or female, the way you were responding and coping to this pandemic, you're either going to, it's either going to be a golf ball size problem when this is all said and done in X amount of time, or it's going to be a bowling ball size problem because now you have more, you've created more um, damage in your life. You've got new addictions. You got this and that, that you didn't have before because you didn't take the time and look in the mirror and say, you know what? Like I need to do some work. And it's not a bad thing. It's like, to me, that is so attractive to say, like, I have work to do. I'm yeah. not perfect. I'm going to drop my ego and say, I need to do some work. And I think it, it helps you as a male then be able to serve your community more, connect with your audience. I mean, that's one of the things I think is very missed right now is people aren't connecting with their audience because they're not sharing the nitty gritty and deep stuff about their stories, about their journeys, not sharing like the struggles right now. Everyone's posting these pictures that life's so good during COVID. It's like, like really? Like, I love, like being, I love the, I love, love being, being a, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was gonna say was, like, you, you're really happy being isolated, not being able to go out. Like, is that like what, what is like perfect to you looks like? It's not to yeah, me. I, I love the uh, Instagram, uh, you know, like influencers who are just, you know, used to posting beauty products and crap like that. And, and it's almost like they're, when you look at their Instagram feeds, it's almost like nothing's happening. You know, it's like, <laughs> what world do you live in right now? Like, where do you but go? I, where'd you go? Yeah. But I think, I think what you're talking about is a, you know, like right now and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, uh, like I said before, isolation equals amplification. And what we are experiencing is breaks in social norms and social contracts, mm. right? Like, want to know why why toilet paper, missing toilet paper was such a big fucking deal to everybody and why people were losing their shit? It's because that's a social contract that you have with society. When you go out in public, you have a, an agreement with society that certain things will be in place, right? That you'll walk into a grocery store and there'll be toilet paper, that you'll walk into a coffee shop and there'll be coffee and there'll be people working there. And so we have all of these 
agreements with society that allow us to maintain a sense of normalcy. And right now, and when people walked into the, into the grocery stores and saw all the toilet paper was missing, people started to freak out because they started mm -hmm. to realize that some very basic social agreements were broken and not being upheld. And that's a sign that the collective nervous system of our society is not okay. When you see those things, you might be like, ha that's ridiculous, people are dumb. But inside your nervous system's like, oh shit, are we okay? Like, is mm. society okay? Like if there's no toilet paper right now, what's, what's gonna happen in a month? What's gonna happen in six months? And so all of these things start to, start to break down. And so right now is a really good example of like how you're showing up right now and the coping mechanisms that are coming up and how you're dealing with stress right now and how you're dealing with this situation is just amplifying how you normally deal with stress, how you normally deal with things that are out of your control, how you normally deal with the unknown and the uncertain. And, and again, like I said, our brain hates the unknown. It mm -hmm. hates the uncertain. It will move, it will do everything in its power to move you away from something that you cannot predict and move you towards something that you can predict, even if that thing that you can predict is so unhealthy, even if it's like, you know, watching porn again or drinking, drinking too much booze or eating the chips or whatever it may be. So right now is just amplifying how you normally deal with stressful situations. So if you found yourself drinking every, every single day, again, it's just, a, it's just a manifestation of, of how you'd normally deal with it. And now is the perfect time to be able to lean into that discomfort and, and do the things that you wouldn't normally do that, that are going to help support you. Gosh. Yeah. You're, you're so right. We're seeing it. And it's just, it's cause what happens I think now is it's, it's exposing a lot of people. Um, and it's not, not all in a negative way. It's just, it is, it's, it's stress exposes people, right? The way they manage stress shows you see a lot of like, you know, some things that people have to work on. Right. And even right now, everything, it feels like to me, like everyone's on edge, everyone's on edge in some way, some more so than others, depending on the situation, depending on the, depending on the amount of work they've done internally, their coping mechanisms. And you're right. It's amplifying things. You're seeing problems come to the surface that are like, whoa, like I didn't know this. So what do you think? Like, you know, let's talk like what you and Vienna are seeing, because that's obviously one of the problems we're seeing now is you're seeing a lot of relationships becoming exposed. Yeah. Um, and you're seeing a lot of people obviously going through stuff. What are some, what are some things that, a you're seeing and maybe like if there was a few tips you had for people yeah. to, that they could apply to whatever they're going through right now, they'd be able to kind of take from what you guys are teaching. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, you know, the impacts of COVID are going to be interesting when we look back at this from a year or two from now, I think what we'll, what we'll probably see is that suicide rates will have spiked domestic violence will have will have spiked. We're already seeing that, right? Like just in, in Vancouver alone, I think we've seen a 300% increase in domestic violence since COVID started. And, wow. and in, you know, there's a lot of research and data that's starting to come out that, that domestic violence is, is spiking right now, because of course, people that normally had their escapes or their, their means of, of separating when conflict happened, they don't have that. And so they're stuck in very high, high stress, um, yeah, very high stress, high uncertainty, lack of resources times. And so that's there. We're also seeing an immense amount of, of conflict come up. So like a lot of the couples that my wife and I work with, they are again, having a lot more challenges simply because their, their environments have radically changed, right? Like people that are used to going into an office, right? If you have a couple and they have a child, for example, and they're both used to going into work while a nanny takes care of the kid or, you know, they, they go into work and drop the child off at daycare and then come home after and they have this, you know, routine that works for them. Suddenly, you know, they're both working from the kitchen table, the kids screaming in the living room, one of them's <laughs> on the conference call, the other one's trying to make lunch. And, and all of a sudden you have internal and external chaos. And so that's what we're seeing a lot of couples dealing with is that routines 
have been destroyed. And, and those routines are often what uphold the continuity of our connection and our communication. So what I would say for all couples out there is, is one, know that if you're experiencing more conflict during these times, you're probably, you're definitely not alone, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> a lot of couples are experiencing more conflict than normal, again, because they're isolated from being able to go and, and talk to their friends or talk to their family when these things come up. Uh, secondly, what do we do about it, right? How do we start to face these things? Uh, I think creating new routines for this time period is, is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, maybe you had an old routine that worked well for you. Maybe you've never had a morning routine or an afternoon or evening routine, but now is the time to implement that and to do it in a way that, that design, that does two things. One allows you to build intimacy with you, right? So intimacy, I always say is into me, I see. And mm. the, the root of intimacy is, is a Greek word called intimus and intimus literally means innermost. And so the Greeks believe that in order to have really deep intimacy with a partner, you had to have deep intimacy with yourself first and foremost. So so everything starts with you. Everything starts with you. And in order to have that quality connection, whether it's physically, sexually, intellectually, spiritually with your partner, you need to develop that and cultivate that with yourself. If you can't build that with from yourself and you are needing it from a, another person, that's called codependency, right? You're, you're trying to enmesh yourself with another in order to get those needs met. So build a routine that is for you, first and foremost. It's going to help to ground you. Secondly, uh, build a little bit of a connection routine with your partner. And what my wife and I always recommend is something that we call de-rolling. So at the end of the day, and this is very important, whether you're going into the office or whether you're working from home, at the end of the day, you want to sort of be able to take your work hat off, right? And de-roll from yourself. So if you're an executive or if you work a nine to five or you're a sales director or whatever your role is, you want to be able to have a practice at the end of the day. For me, it's breath work and meditation. For other people, maybe it's just meditation, but you're going to want to practice. So like Vienna will light some Palo Santo and, you know, get some smells going on and, uh, and put some music on and dance for a little bit. And that'll kind of like get her out of the space of playing the role of the therapist mm -hmm. and, and, and being the business owner and into the role of just being able to connect and be a partner and be present in, in, in that space. So find, find a, a routine that's going to help you de-roll at the end of your day so that you're not bringing all of that, you know, work garbage and, and baggage and heaviness to the dinner table or out into the living room. Uh, and, and then lastly, have some basic tools, um, you know, maybe use this time to go through a course or a program to deepen your relationship, to learn about your partner. Um, like Vienna and I have this program called Get the Love That You Want, and it's really like the foundations of relationships. Like we, we wanted to build something that, that taught people communication and how to deal with conflict and turn that into connection, how to set boundaries, talking about sex and intimacy. So, you know, finding resources like that, whether it's us or the Gottmans or whoever it might be, and use this time to actually move through that. I think that's, that's going to be really important. And we can talk about maybe conflict specifically if you want, but I'll, I'll let you take the, take the reins from here. Well, yeah, I think you provided a lot of great insight on, on knowing that, I mean, I think the first thing you, you, you hit on was acceptance and knowing that you're not alone. There's no shame in that. I mean, there's probably every relationship right now is going through some sort of conflict or adjustment mm -hmm. right and i think now knowing that you know that it's okay because it's it's normal people are stressed out people are pivoting they're obviously they're on more alert their anxieties are up but then also like the one thing i think you hit on that's important is taking care of yourself and honoring mm -hmm. and honoring like your own time and energy so that you can show up for your partner and then let that evolve as it's intended to and um because i think at the end of the day if we're not happy with ourselves it's going to spill out in other areas of our life, just as we've talked about with, you know, and even in our conversation so far. So like we talk about conflict and this is like one of the things I want to, I guess, if you're, you want, you're willing to go there, like what are some things that you recommend um, either if it's an intimate relationship or just maybe like a friendship, whatever it is in dealing and navigating with conflict, because that's like the one thing that I think that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. Because yeah, no I mean, one likes conflict, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the questions that every, everyone listening to this podcast should ask themselves is what is my relationship to conflict? 
right? What is my relationship to conflict? Do I love it? Do I hate it? Did I grow up in an environment where conflict was prevalent? And so how I've learned to build connection is through conflict. You know, I mean, I've worked with countless people who have grown up in an environment where conflict was inadvertently used to maintain uh, the family bond, right? And so they, they grew up in very high volatility, um, high conflict areas. Other people literally never saw an argument in their life, right? Have never seen conflict take place for 18 years of their life. And so they have no reference point to how to even engage in conflict. And so if you have, if knowing your conflict style is so important and knowing your relationship to conflict is so important because then when you engage with your partner or the other person, let's just use a relationship as, as an example, right? So maybe I'll just use my relationship as an example. So I grew up, I had two different homes. One of them was, was fairly high conflict and the other one was fairly conflict avoidant. My wife grew up and in a home where conflict was quite prevalent, right? And that there was a lot of uh, gaslighting, there was a lot of manipulation, there was a lot of um, heavy conflict-oriented conversations, right? Very direct. She was, she was growing, uh, born and raised in New Jersey, you know? So <laughs> that's, just, that's just how they roll, I think, sometimes out there. So I was, I was very conflict-avoidant, right? And so understanding that relationship, I didn't like to get into conflict. I didn't like to, to go down that path. So first and foremost, know your uh, relationship to conflict and how it's going to show up. Secondly, start to get familiar with your own reactivity. So part of shadow work and, and part of the easiest access point to understanding your own shadow is by doing a few simple things. One, starting to get familiar with what you tend to avoid. So you can just ask yourself the question, what I tend to avoid is, or what I least like to admit about myself is, or the emotions that I least like to show my partner are. And you can start to explore some of those questions. But reactivity is a, is a, like the neon sign pointing towards your shadow. So whenever you get reactive in, in your relationship and reactivity, let's just label it as like anger or shutting down um, or uh, stonewalling or getting defensive, right? The four horsemen by the, by the Gottmans. I think that those are the four of them. Uh, <laughs> stone, stonewalling defensiveness. Uh, yeah. Stonewalling defensiveness. I'm totally blanking on the other two right now. Um, I but, know what you're I know what you're talking about. And it all kind of makes sense. Yeah. And so getting into like what your reactivity is, is incredibly important. A lot of this is just ownership, right? Being able to say, Hey, I'm getting charged right now, or I'm getting flooded. So for a lot of guys, getting in touch with their anger within the context of reactivity is going to be incredibly important. And that anger for a lot of men often feels like a charge moving up the body and into the head. So what a lot of guys will experience when they start to get angry in their relationship is that energy in their body, the anger will sort of build and then move up the body and into their head. And when that happens, they're going to get flooded, right? Intellectually, emotionally, they're going to get completely overwhelmed. So know what your threshold is, right? Know where your reactivity has gotten to a place where you know you can't communicate properly, where you know you're just on the defense or you're attacking or you're being contemptuous. That's one of the other ones, contempt. Um, <laughs> that's one of the other four horsemen. Uh, <laughs> Or, or you're being defensive or you're shutting down and stonewalling, know when you have reached your threshold. Because what a lot of couples do wrong is that they don't honor where their threshold is. And so they'll engage in conflict and they'll reach this point where they both know it's not going anywhere. And rather than saying, hey, I'm flooded or hey, I'm being defensive or I'm being contemptuous or I'm shutting down and stonewalling, they continue to try and solve the problem when they're both at like a nine on the, on the anger scale or on the conflict scale. Right. So knowing when to back off is incredibly important. Maybe you have like a conflict safe word, right? Where you're just like, you know, banana pancakes. It's just like <laughs> the sign that this is not going anywhere and I'm flooded and we need to take a pause. So we also talk about respecting the pause a lot, right? Viktor Frankl has a great quote where he says, um, between stimulus and response, there's a pause. And that pause in conflict is something that we have to build in. And it's so, so, so important when you and your partner get heated, right? And you get reactive and you start going on the attack or start getting defensive. There's going to reach a point where you're either going to 
push your chips in more and up the ante on the conflict, or you're going to honor the pause and take a step back for a second so that you can engage in healthy dialogue. So understanding what your reactivity style is, looking at the four horsemen, right? Do you go to stonewalling? Do you go to contempt? Uh, do you go to uh, attacking and getting defensive? Like, how do you respond to conflict? And then knowing where your threshold is so that you can actually back off and pause. And that might mean that you label it, right? One of the things that we get a lot of clients and couples to do is label when they are flooded. So that can sound something like, hey, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm just too angry to have this conversation or I feel emotionally flooded, so let's pause using some dialogue and using some uh, labels like that in the moment can be very helpful because then it's not about the other person. And that's what a lot, that's where a lot of couples really get stuck or a lot of people get stuck when there's conflicts. It's like, you're doing this to me, you're responsible, mm. you never, you always, mm. and that doesn't lead anywhere. And so being able to just step back and say, Hey, this is where I'm at. I'm struggling right now, I'm flooded, or I'm too angry to have this conversation, or I'm too sad, or whatever the case may be, that is incredibly important because then you can create some space to actually come back together and connect. Yeah, and there's like, I mean, what do you like, kind of recommend after that? Is there like a timeline? Like, I mean, because obviously everybody like, you know, responds differently to, to situations like that. And, you know, I think it's important to kind of step back, practice the pause, take ownership, which of course is ex extremely hard to do. Like, so what's like a next step after that for people to be able to re-engage in? Yeah, I mean, I think checking in with your partner is, is very important, right? Being able to lean in, like come back around, like settle yourself first, mm. right? That's the most important part. And we talk a lot about, I talk a lot about self-regulation with guys, right? That, that your life is a result of your leadership, not, a, not someone else's. And, and so being able to regulate yourself in those moments, having a breathwork practice, right? I, I teach something called the fire meditation. And that is a, it's a breathwork and meditative practice that I give to people for those heightened moments. Because most of us, we don't have anything, right? We'll, we'll get into the big conflict and then we'll go sit and scroll through Facebook or Reddit or some bullshit like that. And that doesn't actually deal with the emotions that are there. Mm. So, so regulate yourself first and foremost so that you can find solid ground again, right? Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, et cetera. And then gauge, gauge whether or not your partner's open and receptive to connecting. So come back into the conversation and say, Hey, I'd like to connect. I, you know, I've, I've grounded myself. Are you ready? You know, do you need more time? And, and just check in with them, give them the option to say, no, I don't, I don't want to talk to you right now, or no, I don't want to connect right now. Okay. Well, I'm open. I'm ready. You let me know when, and if you haven't, if you haven't told me by tomorrow, I'll check in with you again, right? So we we both have a responsibility to self-regulate and to and to self-check on when we want to re-engage in that conversation. And I think the probably the best thing that I would say in terms of like we every single couple, every single great couple that I've ever met, ever worked with, um, it's not that they don't have conflict; it's that they have learned how to navigate conflict in a way that turns it into connection. Mm. And, and what's required of that is, is a sense of complete self-ownership, which is mm. the most challenging part because when we get into conflict with a partner, we want it to be their fault yes. 100%, right? Our, right? our ego, our shadow doesn't want it to be us. It wants, wants it to be them. And so coming back to a place of, of being able to self self-regulate and self-lead is going to be incredibly important. Checking in with your partner is going to be incredibly important, but also just like sitting with the dissonance, right? We, we live in a culture and a society that is, that is so, uh, dissonance avoidant, right? We mm. try and avoid discomfort at all costs. And sometimes we need to just sit in that space and, and let it be okay and allow our partner the, the space and the freedom to go through what they need to go through. And, but that requires us to have the agreement with them that we trust them to figure out their own shit and, and to come to us when, when they're ready. But there's a lot of people that are dating and that are with partners that they actually, when pushed comes to shove, they actually don't trust and, or they don't respect, right? And so they don't trust their partner to actually solve 
their own internal problems or be able to face their own internal emotions. And I think this is what a lot of couples experience is like, I don't trust you to deal with you. And so I have to fix all the problems. That's a lot of people's narratives and it causes an immense amount of challenge. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I think you've, you've probably just given so much you know, valuable, tangible advice for people that are listening that are struggling right now during this pandemic, because that's like the name of the game, right? Is kind of keeping these golf ball problems, golf ball problems, and not bowling ball problems and not having, you know, some smoke become blazing fires, right? Mm -hmm. And just, I think sometimes like, especially even now, like trying not to sweat the small stuff, practicing forgiveness, gratitude. I mean, I mean, I'm not perfect with it. I'm constantly working on that, you know, because these are heightened times and you, and you want to, I guess the shadow in us, the, the inner critic wants the other person to be wrong. A hundred percent. It's hard to, to raise your hand and say, Hey, like, you know, I'm really sorry for my role. I played in X, Y, and Z. I'm really sorry for whatever. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the hard thing. The easy thing yeah. is to point the finger and blame and be a victim. I mean, mm-hmm. and say, you did this to me, you, you, you. And it's not to say that I don't think you can be hurt or upset. I mean, I think that could, that's obviously going to happen. But well, I think, and, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think a lot of this comes down to our boundaries, right? And I always say boundaries are a filtration system that teach people how to treat us, right? Boundaries are a filtration system that teach people how to treat us. And the, the challenge is that if we're really honest with ourselves, most of us have really shitty boundaries with ourselves, right? We let ourselves get away with shit. We let our inner critic you know, verbally abuse us half the times. I mean, some of the things when I've really dug into how people speak to them inside, it's atrocious, right? And yet we, we don't have a boundary with that inner critic. We let it run rampant and, and really like verbally take us down a notch on a daily basis and then wonder why we're aggressive with our partner or disconnected in our relationship or, you know, feel like we're not going to be able to maintain our business or whatever the case may be. So, so we need to be able to set boundaries with ourselves, with the parts of ourselves that are harmful towards us. And then we need to be able to work with them, right? So understanding, listening to the inner critic, listening to those parts of us that are, that are causing us harm personally is incredibly important. And then being able to set boundaries with our partner. And, and again, mm-hmm. we need to have boundaries in conflict, right? I always say to couples, sit down and create your conflict agreements. Like literally make, make a list of, of four or five agreements of how you're going to show up as a couple in conflict, right? Agreement number one, don't call each other names, right? Like don't, don't stoop to, is saying like, you're a bitch or, you know, you're a fucking loser or like whatever the case, don't stoop to that, right? So rule number one, how you are going to engage in conflict is going to be incredibly important. And, and literally create those agreements with your partner. Most people, most couples don't have uh, a sort of how-to or agreements in place of how they're going to do conflict. So when conflict erupts, their past trauma gets spewed all over the pl- mm. all over the place. Their past abuse gets spewed all over the place, and it gets passed on to their partner, and they're just perpetuating that capital T or little t trauma. It's amazing, man. And that and that advice you just gave, I think anybody listening, no matter how good their relationship is, can apply that. And I think it's kind of a good place for us to kind of close because there's so much you provided just between your own story, what you're doing with your work, um, how people can kind of manage this COVID crisis within their own, um, you know, you know, relationships with themselves and their partner. Mm-hmm. And also the whole conflict thing I think is, is, is huge because that's the one thing that, I mean, no one's perfect at managing conflict. No one, especially now, like it's extre- extremely prevalent. There's conflict in every day when people's lives, um, and so I know there's some things you got coming up, man. I know you have, um, kind of like your man talks kind of what, like a, like a weekend retreat right in August in mm-hmm, Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you have, um, kind of like your little, um, coaching program for men. Right. So like talk mm-hmm. about those briefly and then like where people can find out more about you. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, a- anyone that wants to check out more of what I do can go to connorbeaton.com. Um, so, I mean, we have an online men's group. Uh, we've got about 250 guys in that right now. It's called the Alliance. 
Uh, I lead a call once a week and then the guys have their own member led teams. Um, it's a great, great platform right now. It's free for a couple months. So definitely check that out. Um, probably the biggest resource and like the thing that I'm honestly the most proud of is the course that Vienna and I created. Um, you know, it's six weeks, whether you're single or in a relationship, you can go through it. Um, and it really is like the foundation of relationships and it teaches like family of origin and how to turn conflict into connection, all those parts. Uh, and then, yeah, the men's weekends, I don't know what's going to happen with those right now, to be honest, yeah, like we've, yeah. we've had to cancel like three of them already because of, because of COVID. Um, but I think I'm probably going to be doing a, a virtual one for all the guys that want to, to jump on. Um, so, you know, you can look at that on, on the website as well and then stay tuned for anything that we have up and coming. I'm, I'm currently, I'm just about to release a, a breathwork program that's going to teach people how to get into their emotions, face their anxiety by using breathwork and meditation as, as that practice. Awesome, man. And so connorbeaton.com and then at man talks on Instagram. Yes, um, sir. Yeah, man. So thank you so much for coming on here. I mean, I mean, I was blown away. I mean, I just, I wanted to get you on here because I love what you, you promote as a guy. Always, there's always work to be done and what you just shared, how open you were about your own journey. I mean, trust me, like, I mean, I'm, I can't even imagine you're sharing about infidelity and everything that you did. And you're, now you're like helping people navigate through that. Um, you know, you should be really proud of yourself for all that you've accomplished. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So once again, for those who are listening to this, I mean, you're going to want to listen to this a couple of times. I mean, not only just because of Connor's story and his work, but what he talks about as far as conflict resolution, as far as how to navigate through storms and relationships, it's um, such easy, uh, easily digestible and tangible advice. So um, once again, if you, we'd love to know like what you thought of this episode. So if you really enjoyed it, please listen, you know, reach out to Connor, reach out to myself, you know, leave a five-star review. If you really, this really resonated with you. And um, once again, you're listening to this episode of the adversity advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we will see you next time.